If this is the most famous painting in the world, and that's pretty much up for dispute, don't you think? It comes because this is probably one of the most famous stories in the world that we usually call the story of the prodigal son. It begins with the preface in the first couple of verses, which are important to the rest of the story. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and travelled to a distant country and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger? I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field and when he came and approached the house he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked him what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back who had devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. 
father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and to rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. This is a badly named story. This is not the story of the prodigal son. This is the story of the prodigal father. You know what the word prodigal means, don't you? I'll quote it from a dictionary. Spending money or using resources freely and recklessly, being wastefully extravagant. That's exactly what goes on in this story. But it's the father, not the son. The younger son does what we expect. He's a rebel. It's the classic rebel story. We've got hundreds of them. We've got them in our own families, in our own heads. And there's only ever two ways that the rebel story works out. Either the rebel continues to spiral downwards into destruction, which we don't mind reading every now and then, as long as we're not the protagonist. Unable to see himself any, uh, uh, see himself any longer, unable to kind of distinguish who he is, so confused that he's almost th- thinks he's a pig and could eat pig food and completely lost. Or the other vo- model is he comes to himself, he shapes up and he ships out and he goes for it. Well, in our story, of course, it would be a short story if it went the other way and, you know, we know that story. But this is a better story because he comes to himself, he gets his act together and he shows remorse. Father, I have sinned, I recognise that I've sinned against you and, well, I've actually sinned against God and the whole thing. And I'm no longer, no longer worthy to be a son. And he has a, has a plan for reform. My plan is that you've got servants. If I could be a servant, maybe by being a servant I could somehow repay all the damage that I've done. He had a plan. It sounds like a perfect story. Guy goes bad, comes to himself, makes a plan for being good. End of story. Thanks very much. Let's take up the offering and go home. That's how the story's supposed to go. That's how we know these stories go. It's a proper story. He could have gone the way of despair. We're not sure what's going to happen. Then we read in the story, it's okay. It's going to be okay because he's going to get his morality back. He's going to act his age. He's going to do the proper thing. And the right road, the road he should take, it's on display just in case we don't know what it is with the older brother. Who's the, what's the older brother doing? He's out in the field. He's where he's supposed to be. He's right in the centre of his life. He's doing the right thing at the right time, in the right way. Pretty rare. I don't know about how your life goes, but there's been very few times when I figured I'm doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. I've sometimes got one of those, and the other two have gone west. Sometimes none of them seem right. But he's doing the right thing in the right place at the right time. That's what a son does. Keeps the business going, runs the place. He's in the field. He's living a life of duty and responsibility. And he tells us, in case we don't just get it from being in the field, which in Jesus' rural time, that was all they needed to know. We, you know, we don't live that way, so we might need to be, have it underlined for us. I have never disobeyed your command. I'm about as good a son as you're ever going to find anywhere. 
This is how the world should work. Duty and responsibility or rebellion and destruction or, if we're really lucky, penance and repentance. The problem here is in this story is not with the brothers. They both do the right thing. The younger one obviously, you know, takes a while, but he gets his act together. The younger brother, uh, sorry, the older brother always does the right thing. Either road is the right road in the moral universe. You actually get your act together or you keep it together. And most of us, look, we're good, white, middle class, western people. Not all of us are white, most of us are. We're mostly middle class most of the time. At least we're not sure we are, especially if you check your bank account some days, you wonder. But we know how to live morally. We know you don't supposed to go out and get drunk on the street. You're supposed to drink at home or, or in respectable bars. We know how it's supposed to work. The problem with this story is the father. He doesn't play by the rules. He divides his property. Why? Because his son just says, can I have mine? There's got to be something else in there. That can't be right. You can't just ask for something and get it. This father's not playing by the rules. He runs and kisses his son when he's returning. Well, that's not right. We don't get it as much, but for a Jewish male elder to run was deeply shocking. And for him to kiss someone who's in such uh, so out of the law, so impure, without going through some sort of purity ritual, well, it was just insane. That'd be like us kissing somebody with COVID. Nobody does that. Well, we do, but we didn't know. We didn't mean to. That's why we're all getting it. But well, I don't know who you're kissing. That's up to you. But um, we, you know, this this is nuts. He does it all wrong. He doesn't pay any attention doesn't seem to pay any attention at all when the young son comes out with the system. I'm remorseful. I don't have been a good son and all of that. Uh, uh, I'm penitent because here's my plan for the future. It's as if he's not even spoken. The, the father just pushes all that aside and gets on with the party. He kills the fatted calf. Again, not something we kind of, the resonance of this doesn't mean so much for us, but that was, you do that for the most important visitor you're ever likely to see in the family. Not as one of the kids. And certainly not the one that was the rebel. Regardless of how penitent he is and all his plans. You know, but he, he lays it on, this is, this is, this story's been laid on with a trowel. Not only does he kill the fatted calf, he gets out the, a rope, not only a rope, but the best rope, and rings in the whole shebang. This man is a prodigal. He's wastefully extravagant. This is totally unnecessary. He ignores the moral universe. He ignores the way the story is supposed to go. He cares nothing for what is right and what is proper. He seems to care only about holding parties. If we pay attention, if we pay attention to this ignoring of the moral universe and the way things are supposed to be, it turns out the whole Bible is chock full of it, if we're looking for it. It's all supposed to have begun in a garden where the trees are beautiful to look at, the early story says, and great to eat. That's how it's supposed to be. 
things got in got bad for the children of Israel, God provided manna. It says manna from heaven. Nobody has a clue what it is, except that it was food. And there was enough of it. There was so much of it every day that you could collect it up and save it for tomorrow. But it went rotten because you didn't need to save it for tomorrow because tomorrow, guess what? There's more. It's just like this abundance all the time. Jesus got accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he spent so much time hanging out with people who liked to party. And when he wasn't at a party himself, he was talking about the way the world should be by using the metaphor of a party. The father in this story ignores the moral world, I think, from the point of view of the Bible, because there just isn't one. None of it makes any sense. You can work your ass off, excuse the language, you can work yourself really hard for all your life and still end up with nothing. There's no moral universe. It doesn't work that way. The good die badly and the bad die in their beds after a life of, of, to, in old, into old age as we were talking about last week. In the Bible, it's all about forgiveness. It's all about rejoicing. The story we missed, that there's two stories that come in between the bit about the tax collectors and the, uh, the sinners coming out to hear Jesus. And you've got to wonder why that is. There's two stories, the story of the lost coin and the story of the lost sheep. And at the end of the story of the lost sheep, it says, Jesus says, there is rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. So to use proper language that we would make sense of today. So when one person suddenly goes, whoa, wait a minute, the world isn't the way I thought it was. It's different. I'm turning my view around and having another look. When that happens to one person, what happens in heaven? Another party. It's all about partying. The old man ignores the young man's claims about, well, I'm I'm sorry I did this and this is my plan for the future. He ignores all that because it's nonsense. It's a lie. The truth is not that. Not the truth that Jesus is living. Because that world that he is trying to get back to Never went away. It's all always present. It's so much nonsense to say, as we sometimes do in church, let's pray that God will join us. That's like coming in here and saying, let's hope there's going to be enough air for us to breathe in this building. We use language that just, mate, we must look insane to people. But isn't, and it must look insane to God, surely. You see, the sons... Then they're doing the right thing in the moral universe, but in the world of God, in the way the world really is, they're as useless as we are. You know why? Because they don't see. And remember the Gospel of Luke, which is the one we're following all this year, goes on and on and on about seeing, looking and really seeing, about listening and really hearing. And if you, if you were to look up the word see and hear in the Gospel of Luke, it's peppered all the way through, much more than in the others. And you start to begin, it's not just a fill-in word. It's actually calling us, see what's really going on. The young man got his stuff. Why? Because he wanted a life of autonomy and he wanted a life of partying. Is that so wrong? Really? I, well, of course it is, because we're good Anglo-Saxon. That just sounds terrible, him saying that. But that can't be right. 
That's what he wanted. Didn't you want that at 17? At 65? I don't know, it's up to you. That's what he wanted. And guess what? He got it all wrong because where was the party? Back home. It was such a big party that when the older brother was coming in, he could hear the noise before he left the field. This was not just your kind of, you know, tea and scones around the sofa. This was a real whiz-bang slap-up party. And this is what Jesus keeps saying all the time. The kingdom of God, the world of God, the way the world really is, which is God's, uh, Jesus' sort of metaphor word for, for, for the way things really are, the kingdom. Where is it? It's in you, he says in Luke. It's here. And it's, it's funny because the, the, the young son already knows this a bit because he says, while he's working out what he's going to do, my father's servants, the hired hands, they have bread. They've got more than enough bread. Well, you don't feed servants more than enough bread. But he's already got an inkling that where is the party? Where is the centrality of his life? Where is the great hope of who he could be, autonomous and alive? He's already got a sense of it. And so when he comes to himself and he goes back, that's exactly what happens. But the older son is lost in his own lie. You have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. Is he not listening to the story? Right at the beginning, it says the father and the word of his younger son divides the property between them. He's already got it. It's always been his. In fact, the, the, the old man in the story says at the end, son, like, come on, wake up. It's another word for saying, look, you were always with me. You always have been. You always will be. All that I have is yours. It's always been that way. This great good were earth that God had to remind us over and over again. There's the day. It's good. There's the water. It's good. Just in case we've forgotten that it's good and that we're to live in it in goodness. It's already you. You're already in it. You're already living this life. Whether you're stuck with the pigs, can't figure out who you are and who you're not, well, that's going to be life some of the time. Whether you're stuck out in the field doing your duty, well, that's going to be life some of the time. But somehow, the life that you are called to is a life of rejoicing and joy and wonder and hopefulness and forgiveness. For whatever you happen to be doing right now or did last night or did 15 years ago or will do tomorrow, it doesn't make any sense. It's wrong, it offends us and it's not the way the world we think should be. But it's the way Jesus thought it was and it's the way he insisted on living. Didn't care who you were, where you came from, you just turn up, you're a human being. That's all Jesus needed to know. No wonder we got so upset with him and strung him up. No wonder it doesn't fit because that's not the way the world we want. We want it to be moral, except, you know, we want a bit of mercy for ourselves. Yeah, we've got to stop. Because you can talk about this story forever most famous painting in the world. I woke up this morning, and I obviously must have been thinking about this in the middle of the night, and the, a, a phrase from Paul Iliade, 
a French a surrealist poet came to my mind. It's been in my mind for years and it just pops up every now and then. I'll leave it with you. It says simply this. There is another world. And it is this one. Thanks, Neil.